0: Um today we are finishing up our series that we've called Transformed. And if you've been a part of our church, we have been in this series since the beginning of the year. Um, This is our word for the year, and so you're going to be hearing about this all throughout the year as well, because this is kind of the thread that what we believe God is speaking to our church for this year, and so we're putting more emphasis on this as we do every single year. We have this word, and we have a series that we're ending today, and if you have not been a part of uh, the messages so far, I would highly encourage you, you can go back on YouTube, on the app, you can go on the podcast, and you can get all of those and I, would, and I would encourage you to watch those or listen to those because we've talked about being transformed into Christ's image, about our desires, about our finances. We've talked about our thinking patterns and thoughts. And today we're going to end this series and I want to begin today with a well-known story from the Bible. This is the story that many of you have heard before. You've heard messages on before, but this is the story of Elijah. And uh, just to give you kind of some background before we pick it up in First Kings 19, that Elijah has, you know, he's called down fire from heaven and he's, you know, captured and, and he's killed 450 prophets of Baal. And he's prayed for rain in a drought and this, you know, no rain for three years. In the third year, God sends rain and all of these amazing things have been happening. And Elijah has just, with his faith in God and what God has called him to do, has seen all of these amazing things happen. And then we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1. And we're going to read a portion, and then we'll pick up some of the end of it toward the end of the message. But this is what it says. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? I want to pause there because as I was reading this story, um, there was something in this story that, that stuck out to me that I want to talk to you about for a few minutes today. Because Elijah has just seen some amazing things happen in his life. He's just seen God do some incredible things by him putting his faith in him and just being obedient to what God was telling him to do and I wonder if there's anybody at church today that would say hey I have felt like since the beginning of the year even we were in 21 days of prayer and fasting and I have felt like God has done some significant things I felt like God has done some significant things in me I feel like God has done something in family mem- family members lives I've heard testimonies of of stories and people that have been healed and and circumstances that have shifted and turned around because of uh, I believe our faithfulness to just seek God and pray and draw closer to him and so elijah like many of us have seen some of these things even recently in our lives or we can remember these things from the past and after elijah experiences all of these incredible things through circumstances and fear he finds himself eventually in a cave so elijah has fled he has he has accomplished all this through the power of god He is now running in fear because of a circumstance, because of something that was said. He's running, and he finds himself, in verse 9, we see, in a cave. And he says, I'm going to stay the night in this cave. And the Lord asks him a question that I think he is asking some of us today. Maybe even, uh, as we go through the message, you'll find yourself in one of these situations. And God, I believe, is asking us today, what are you doing here? There are some of us that have found ourselves in a cave like Elijah found himself in a cave and God shows up and he says, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? And you can put your name in the blank because you know, man, I feel like, come on, is there anybody that you feel like even after you came out of 21 days of prayer and fasting, it's like the enemy started attacking you and you didn't know what to do and you feel like you've been in a cave? you've laid down and you've kind of settled into a cave in your life and God I believe is asking you today and you just thought you were coming to church because you know well let's just go to church today no God put you here because he wanted to tell you that it's time to come out of the cave and he's asking us the question today what are you doing here what are you doing here And many of us, as I was preparing this and thinking about this, we talked last week about our thoughts and how many of us interpret what God says and we see God in a certain way based on how we think of Him. And sometimes we just have to renew our minds so that we can see God from the correct perspective, so that we can see what God is doing. And a lot of us, we would read this, and there are some of us that would read it, and we would think that God is mad and God is upset, and we would read it in this tone that we find Elijah in a cave and God shows up. He's like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Why in the world are you here? Are you kidding me that you are here again in this cave? And I don't think that's the way that God's communicating it. I don't think that's the way that it was said to Elijah. And I don't, in my opinion, feel like that's the way God communicates to us. I think it's more, uh, more like he's a God of compassion and a God of love. And he sees where you're at. And he sees the cave that you find yourself in. And because you're there, he's looking at you today. He's looking you in the eyes. He's speaking to you today and saying, What are you doing here? What are you you doing in this place? What are you doing in this cave? And so I've titled this message for the final part of our series, Transform Priorities. But really, the title would be this Come out of the cave. Come out of the cave. I do believe that it is about priorities and some of us have prioritized things in our lives and we find ourselves in a cave because of what we've done and what we've, what we've focused on and how we've prioritized areas of our lives and time in our lives. But today I believe that God's calling us out of the cave. So I want to talk about four caves as I was praying about this and just asking the Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want um, to say through this story and even this idea that Elijah found himself in a cave and God shows up and says, what, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? So here's, here's the first cave that I think some of us find ourselves in. It's the cave of comfort. Some of us have laid down in the cave of comfort. And when we were in 21 days of prayer and fasting, and even at the end of the year, and you can think back on times in your life when you were just, you were not about the comfort. You were about serving God. And it didn't matter what it looked like. I'm passionately in love with Jesus. And then some of us have settled into a cave of comfort. We have laid down in a cave of comfort. We've been through some things and we've decided that we would just rather be comfortable than do anything hard or meaningful in our lives. And we've made the decision if 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 it's going to be difficult, I'd rather be comfortable. If it's going to be somewhat of a struggle, I would just rather be comfortable. Some of us are in a comfort zone of habits, some of us are in a comfort zone of selfishness, some of us are in a comfort zone of laziness, some of us are even in a comfort zone of familiarity that things have become too familiar and we just like the familiar and so anything that god calls us to do that would be a step of faith we want to just remain comfortable but here's here's something that's interesting i love this verse this is Joshua 1:9 and I've mentioned this before. I have this in my office. I love this verse. This is like a this is like a life verse for me where it says this is my command be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I was thinking we're not called to be comfortable, we're called to be courageous. And if you look through the Bible, anytime somebody was going to do something, God was, it was like the the our heavenly father or Jesus or the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can sense this you need to be courageous. You need to step out in faith into what I'm asking you to do. And this may not be comfortable. It may not be comfortable, but I don't think that we're necessarily called to comfortable. I was, I was reading through some examples from Scripture of people um, who could have embraced comfort, but instead embraced courage and obedience. And so I just want to read through this list as I was putting these down. Moses was called to leave his job of shepherding sheep to confront the Pharaoh and lead an entire nation of people to freedom. That doesn't sound comfortable. Joshua was commanded to lead the fearful Israelites into battle and into freedom so that they could take hold of the promised land. Nehemiah was called to leave his comfortable job in a palace and become the leader who would help rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Gideon was called to leave his job threshing wheat and lead a small group of warriors to defeat the very people they'd been hiding from. Esther was was challenged to approach the king, though the law, you know, the law, it might be against the law, or it could cause her to be killed without an invitation, all in hopes that she could save her people from being killed. Instead of remaining in the comfortable, these people were all stepping into courage and all stepping into boldness and obedience mary was called to become a teenage mother before she had even become a wife and not just a mother think about this the mother of the savior of the world that doesn't sound comfortable jesus was called to die this painful death on a cross so that you and i could be saved the disciples you know that had followed jesus and lived closely with him they were called to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations despite persecution Paul was called to preach to the very people that he had been persecuting and to those who had been doing the persecuting along with him. It doesn't sound like anything that God is calling these great people that we would say, wow, these are great men and women of faith. Look at what they accomplished. Look at what God was able to do through their life. Can I submit something to you? None of them settled for comfort. None of them settled for what was easy. Jesus himself has already told us that in this life you'll have trouble, but here's the great part. Take heart because he has already overcome the world. And he hasn't promised that you will always live a comfortable life, but he's promised he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. We're not called to be comfortable, but some of us have settled in a cave. We have laid down in a cave of comfort, and we would rather be comfortable than do anything significant serving God. Because to do something for God seems like it might be more difficult. And so I'd rather just be comfortable you can choose to be courageous or you can choose to be comfortable you can choose to be obedient or you can choose to be comfortable and this verse look at this verse first peter chapter 2 verse 21 says for god called you to do good even if it means suffering just as christ suffered for you he is your example and you must follow in his steps if there was ever an uncomfortable verse in the bible it would be that one That you're called to follow in the steps of your example, Jesus Christ, and he suffered. And so you're called to do the things that he's called you to do, even if it means suffering. Jesus didn't choose to hide in a cave of comfort, and we are not called or we are not guaranteed any comfort in our lives. In fact, I would submit to you that if you're truly serving the Lord, you will probably face a lot of uncomfortable situations. I was thinking about Abraham, and Abraham was told by God to leave his home and to start traveling to a land that he would show him. Abraham, I have something great planned for you. You're going to be the father of of many nations. Like, look at the stars and look at the sand and all of this. And Abraham's like, all right. And God says, get up, leave where you're comfortable, and start going. All right, where are we going? I'll show you. Well, how long is it going to take to get there? You'll see. He just said, I need, you, I need you to have some courage, and I need you to be obedient, and I need you to step out and start moving in faith. And when you begin moving in faith, I will show you where you're going. It was uncomfortable. I love this quote. I was reading this as I was preparing this. It says, God's plans for us are not limited to go to church, tithe your money, and be a good Christian. God has plans for us in all areas of our lives. When the Holy Spirit is nudging us out of our comfort zone, it is for a distinct reason. God has something he wants to accomplish in this area for you, and the current comfort zone that you are in cannot hold the amazing blessing that he has in store for you. God is calling you out of your comfort zone. He's calling you out of your comfort zone. If you're in a cave of comfort, he's calling you out today. Here's the second cave that I think some of us find ourselves in. It's the cave of apathy. The cave of apathy. Some of us have entered the cave of apathy. And here's one reason, there are many, but here's just one reason from Scripture why we can't afford to stay in the cave of apathy. It's 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He says, stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And many of us, here's the definition of apathy, because many of us, whenever we think of the word apathy or we think of apathetic people, that we kind of have a picture in our mind of what that looks like, but I just want you to get this picture in your mind from the definition of this word. It's a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. So we have an enemy who is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking people to devour, and some of us have settled in the cave where we have a lack of interest. We have a lack of enthusiasm. And we have a lack of concern. We lack an interest in truly serving God. We lack enthusiasm for what God has called us to do. And we lack concern for a lost world. And too many believers, too many Christians, I feel like we're just going through the motions. And Too many of us are only concerned with ourselves when there are lost people all around us. Maybe God has you where you are. I love the story of Esther. Maybe you were put here for such a time as this. Maybe you work where you work for such a time as this. Not so that you could settle in a cave of apathy, but so you could take up the authority that God has given you through Christ Jesus and do what he's called you to do in the place that he's put you. And so many of us, we're going through the motions and we're living apathetic lives. And laying down in the cave of apathy will cause us to walk by the person in need, just like the first two people in the story of the Good Samaritan. I can't be concerned with that. I don't I, I just don't have time for that. Laying down in the cave of apathy will cause us to allow our brother or sister in Christ to throw their life away because of bad decisions. Because we have a lack of concern. Well, that's just their life. I guess that's the way they're gonna live it. That's that's not what we're called to. Laying down in the cave of apathy will cause us to say things like Things are just going to be the way things are in our world instead of taking up the authority that we have in Christ. Laying down in the cave of apathy will cause us to turn towards self-pity and selfishness instead of selflessness and a love and concern for others. And if you find yourself in a cave of apathy, God is calling you out of the cave today, and He's asking you, "What are you? What are you doing here? What What are you doing here? I have you where I have you for a reason." I've called you for a reason. I've placed you there for a reason. Here's the third thing, the third cave that we may find ourselves in. It's the cave of vanity, the cave of vanity. And some of us have entered the cave of vanity. Here's what vanity means. It's the quality of being worthless, futile. And some synonyms, just to kind of wrap our minds around this word, synonyms for vanity are uselessness, pointlessness, and purposelessness. Living our lives in a use, useless way, in a pointless way, and in a, an unpurposeful way. And Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, he made this statement. And I want to look at just several scriptures here. I would encourage you to go through and you just read the whole book. But we're going to look at some at the beginning, and then I want to hit on something at the very end. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14, this is what he says. He says, I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity. A futile grasping and chasing after the wind. And he goes on to explain it this way that I think many of us might find ourselves in the same position that Solomon found himself in. Look at what he describes about himself in chapter 2. He says, I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure and gratification. So enjoy yourself and have a good time. But behold, this too was vanity, futility, meaninglessness. I said of laughter, It is madness, and of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to gratify myself with wine while at the same time having my mind remain steady and guide me wisely and how to take control of foolishness until I could see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. Look at this list. I made great works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and orchards for myself. And I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made pools of water for myself from which to water the forest and make the trees bud. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves born in my house. I also possessed herds And flocks larger than any who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male singers and female singers and the delights and pleasures of men, many concubines. So I became great and excelled more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. Whatever my eyes looked at with desire, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. Then I considered all which my hands had done and labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and chasing after the wind, and there was no profit, nothing of lasting value under the sun. I would submit to you that there may be some of us that have laid down in the cave of vanity, and we're living our lives doing things not that are bad things, but things that have no lasting value things that are not eternal and solomon i love this because solomon goes through the whole list he says i had it all i did it all i sought it all i bought it all i had all of this around me and he said at the end of it all it was all it was all worthless it did not accomplish here's what here's what i think he would say to us if he was standing here today it did not accomplish what i thought it would accomplish I was seeking happiness, I was seeking joy, I was seeking fulfillment, I was seeking success. And, all, and I thought if I just get more, if I just have more, if I just do more, then I can, I can feel more fulfilled, I can feel more successful. People will look at me different. And he said at the end of the day, it meant nothing. And if you're laying down in this cave of vanity, you may have made statements or had thoughts like this, well, I'm just going to live for me. Or maybe I just want to be happy. Or if I accomplish more, then I'll have it all. And Solomon would say, that's not where it's at. That's not where it's at. The wisest man who ever lived, he said, I have had it all, I have done it all, I have chased after my own desires, and I have discovered that it was all vanity. And this is how he concludes it. At the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13, he says this, When all has been heard, the end of the matter is, Fear God, worship Him with all-filled reverence, knowing that He is Almighty God, and keep His commandments, for this applies to every person. And I was reading the book of Ecclesiastes, and I was you know, really focused on chapter 2 because he goes through this list of what a lot of us would do to try to find fulfillment in our lives and live our lives in a certain way. And he says at the end of this entire book, at the end of all of this wisdom that he wrote down, he says at the very end, and I would sum it up this way, he says, after evaluating it all, here's what we need to focus on, worship and serve God. He says, fear God, worship him with all filled reverence, knowing that he is almighty God, and keep his commandments, for this applies to every person. Worship God and serve God. Above all else, worship God and serve God. It's not that you can't have things. It's not that God isn't going to call you to, you know, to, to make money and do this. We know none of, that is, none of that is accurate, that there are things we have to do while we're here on this earth, but chasing after all of those things Solomon would tell us today, It doesn't mean anything. At the end of the day, here's what's important. Worship and serve God. Take everything that you have, and how can I use it to worship and serve God? How can I take everything God has blessed me with to worship and serve Him? And then here's the final cave that I think we find ourselves in sometimes, maybe even right now, it's the cave of excuses. Some of us have entered the cave of excuses, and we have an excuse why we don't, we have an excuse why we can't, we have an excuse why we won't, and we have an excuse why we didn't. And some of us have settled here. And, well, this is why I didn't. Well, this is why I can't. Well, this is why I don't do that. Well, this is why. And and we have settled in a cave of excuses. And there are several people in the Bible who made excuses and had opportunities to make excuses. But they also came out on the other side choosing to be obedient anyway. And so here are just some examples as I was reading these. Moses, who felt unqualified to speak to Pharaoh because of his speech, would be the one to confidently lead God's people and to tell Joshua to be strong and courageous, for you must go into this land. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. We're talking about Moses. If you go back and you look at and you look at the story of the burning bush, and God is saying, Moses, this is what I've called you to do. And Moses says, I can't, I can't speak well. And God says, Okay, this is what I've called you to do. Well, how are they gonna know that it's you? And God says, this is what I've called you to do. And he says, well, I, I came from there and they're not going to listen to me. And Moses started giving God all of his excuses and God came back every time and he said, this is what I've called you to do. This, and he showed him, I mean, we know if we read the story, he showed him, you know, his staff turns into a snake and different things, you know, God, God has a way of kind of uh, letting us know, like, okay, if you would just trust me, we could get there together, and I'm not going to leave you, and I'm not going to forsake you. But he is, in, in his mercy and grace, sometimes he will show us, like, okay, here's how you're going to know that it's me that's calling you to this, right? But Moses was making excuses, but ultimately we know that Moses actually went and did what God told him to do. And we know how that story turned out. We know what ended up happening and how they were led out. Esther, thinking about her again, who, she was fearful of approaching the king without an invitation because it can mean death for her. She tells Mordecai, if you go back and you read the story, to pray for her, and then she makes this statement, I believe it's in Esther chapter 4, verse 16, she says, and if I perish, I perish. Let me ask you a question today, just food for thought. What could the enemy do to someone who says, I'm going to be obedient, and if I perish, I perish. What stronghold? Could the enemy have on you? If your attitude, I think about even Paul. Paul's going through everything he's going through. And many of us, we, we would say like, I want to be like Paul. <laughs> I want to have the faithfulness of Paul. <laughs> but I don't know that I would wish to go through everything that Paul went through. And Paul, he says it this way. He says, to live as Christ and to die is gain. What do you do to a person who has the attitude, if I live, I'm living for Jesus, it's not even my life, it's Christ who lives within me, he even wrote that. And if I die, I get to go be with Jesus in person. So either way, it's a win-win. Like, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Esther, if I perish, I perish. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what, what God's calling me to do, and if this is the end for me, this is the end for me, but maybe I was, maybe I was put here for such a time as this thinking about mary again you think mary was a little unsure of the logistics of being pregnant as a young teenage girl who had never been married i mean she even asked the question how how can this be how is this going to happen but i love her response even in the midst of all of that this is what she ended up saying she said i am your humble servant let it be done to me as you say the night before Jesus, before his death, he's, you know, he's telling God, his, his heavenly Father, he says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. In other words, it was God with us, God in the flesh, and, and he's praying, and he says, if there's any other way, can we do it any other way? But it's not my will, I want your will to be done. And then he's obedient, and he goes to the cross. He does what the Father wants him to do? When we were talking about Paul, I love what Paul said because if you go back and you read about all of Paul's hardships and everything that he had been through and persecution and imprisonment and, and beatings and all of these different things and then, and then you look at what he says like when he's writing to the Romans, just one example in Romans chapter 1 verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God in the midst of everything. Could have made excuses. This is way too hard. I did not sign up for this. I did not know that it was going to be like this. You know, we know when Paul, when he's, when he's on, the, on the road and he's blinded and he goes and Ananias comes to him. And Jesus, whenever, whenever, whenever God was communicating with Ananias, he says, I need you to go find Paul because I need you to show him how much he must suffer for me. How many of us would like that invitation? Hey, God sent me over here to tell you that he has a great... Like, you are going to accomplish so much, and he just wants you to know how much you're going to suffer for his name. (laughs) And we're like, woo, sign me up. (laughs) And that would even go back to... the Most of us would be like, "Mm, I think I'll just stay at my 9 to (laughs) 5. Right? But yet, he says, in the midst of it all, he's like, hey, I was set apart. To do exactly what I'm doing. And this is just part of it. I love this quote. That you can make excuses. Or you can make progress. But you can't make both. And God is calling you out of your excuses today. And I want us to look back, and then we're going to shift gears for just a couple of minutes, but I want us to look back at these four caves, if we can put those on the screen, that a lot of us, just as a reminder, some of us, we struggle with comfort, we struggle with apathy, we struggle with vanity, we struggle with excuses. And if you find yourself struggling with any of these four things, or maybe all of these four things, you can see what we spelled. It's the word cave. You might find yourself in a cave if you're struggling with comfort, if you're struggling with apathy, if you're struggling with vanity, meaninglessness, purposelessness if you're struggling in a, in a place of excuses and you have every reason why you're not and why you didn't and why you can't, it may be because you're in a cave and the Lord may be calling out to you just saying, what, what, are, you, what are you doing here? Why have you laid down in this place? Why have you laid down in apathy? Why have you laid down in excuses? Why have you laid down in a purposeless life? Why have you laid down and chasing after things that Solomon would say is like chasing the wind? It has no lasting value. What are you doing here? And if you find yourself in a cave, I want to go through these things really quickly. Here's what I believe the Lord wants you to know today. Just a few things. Here's the first thing. If you find yourself in a cave and you say, that's exactly where I am, God knows where you are. God knows where you are. Um, The Lord knew where Elijah was at, and he showed up at the cave. Elijah has traveled. He has gone into the wilderness. He comes across a cave. He's going to stay the night in the cave, and God shows up at the cave. God knows what cave you find yourself in, and he has shown up at the cave. Come on, you thought you were just coming to church. No, you've been in a cave, and God's showing up at the cave today to tell you you need to come out of the cave you need to come out of the cave. Here's the second thing that I think the Lord would want you to know is that he's calling you out of the cave. This is the way he put it in 1 Kings 19.11. I love this. When God is speaking to Elijah, he says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And we know that when Elijah comes to the entrance of the cave, the Lord passes by, and this is where we get the earthquake and the windstorm and all of these things happen. And then the gentle whisper where God says, what are you doing? Why are you in this place? Why are, you, why are you here? And then God begins to give him instruction. And God gives him guidance. And I believe that God wants to give you instruction and give you guidance in this season of your life. But he's calling you out of the cave so that you can step into the instruction and the guidance that he wants to give you. And the first thing he's got to get you to do is come out of the cave if you'll come out of the cave he's got instruction and guidance and things that he wants to like he's not finished with you yet if you're still breathing you have a purpose and God has more for you here's the here's the third thing if you find yourself in a cave you need to know that even when you don't see it he's working first kings 19 15 and 16. Then the Lord told him when he's come out of the cave, he's standing there and God's communicating with him. And he says this. He says, go back the way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah to replace you as my prophet. God had already been, God had already been working behind the scenes. There was already, he he was like, hey, I've already got this person lined up for king here, and this person lined up for king here, and I already know who your successor is going to be. So I need to give you some instruction and give you some guidance. Come out of the cave, and I'm going to point you, you need to go back. Come on, Elijah was running from his assignment. He was running from where God had him. As soon as circumstances and fear set in, he ran away. And God says, go back the way that you came. Go back where you came from and anoint this person, anoint this person, and go find your successor and anoint them. I've already been working behind the scenes. I already know who these people are. You just need to take my instruction, take my guidance, and go do what I'm calling you to do. And here's the final thing as the worship team comes back. If you find yourself in a cave, here's the last thing that I think the Lord would want you to know today is that you are not alone. You are not alone. 1 Kings 19.10 Elijah replied, this is this is his spiel. God says, God says, what what are you doing here, Elijah? And it's almost like it's almost like this was a rehearsed speech. It was like Elijah was on his way and he finds the cave and he's like, "If the Lord asks me, here's what I'm going to tell him." Here's the reason why I ran away. Here's the reason why I'm in this cave. And the Lord says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And this is what he says. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. In essence, Elijah says, God says, what are you doing here? Elijah says, I've done this, they've done that, and I'm the only one left. And they're going to kill me. I've been faithful, they have not, and here I am, I'm the only one left. Did you not hear me when I was under that tree several days back? I just want you to take my life. And we know that God asks him again, and a second time he gives the same response. Then God goes into giving him all of that instruction, and at the end of this, in verse 18... God instructs Elijah and reminds him that he's not alone. Look at this. He says, at the very end of it, yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Elijah says, I, I've been faithful. They have not, and they're, I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. And God says, you are not the only one left. I have 7,000 others who have never bowed to Baal. You are not the only one left. And I was talking to, to David this last week about this message, and And sharing with him what I felt like the Lord put on my heart. And he made this statement that I want to submit to you. That Elijah only thought he was the only one. Because he was the only one in the cave. Elijah had ran from his assignment. And had isolated himself. And all he can see is I'm the only one. I'm the only one left. There's nobody else. They're all trying to kill me. Jezebel's saying she's going to kill me. I'm just, I'm running for my life. I'm the only one left. He's the only one that he could see. And God reminds him, says, I have 7,000 others. You are not alone. You are not the only one left. Go back the way that you came and continue on with my instruction and my guidance. If we go back and we look at the first part of the story, I think we find something interesting. Elijah finds himself, and he's saying this to God, saying it to the Lord. He says, I'm the only one that's left. And if we go back to verses 3 and 4, we discover this. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on, how did he go? Alone, into the wilderness, traveling all day. Elijah had a servant with him. And he left his servant in one place to go off and isolate himself. And I would, and I would submit to you based on how he felt. I've been faithful and they have not. I'm the only one left. He left his servant. He left his assignment and he left his servant and he went off and isolated himself. And I would submit to you that there may be some of us sitting in this room today that you feel like you're all alone. Have you isolated yourself? Have you isolated yourself? Will you stand to your feet today? We know You've heard this before, and we've said this before, but (laughs) the one thing God is creating the universe and creating the heavens and the earth and creating all of this, and he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. He looked at man and said, it's not good for man to be alone. We were made for community. And I think I'm going to make a shameless plug. I think that today, maybe the first step for you out of the cave, you need to step out of the cave and into community. I heard a pastor say it this way one time, and it has stuck with me for years. He said, Circles are always better than rows. Listen, I love that you're here and you're sitting in a row, but you need to find a circle. I love that you are here and we're worshiping together and we're lifting up the name of Jesus and we're hearing God's word and we're applying it to our lives and I love that you are here sitting in a row. But you need to find a circle. And here's my shameless plug. We are intentional as a church to create circles so that you can join a circle. And we call them grow groups. And not only do we grow and we be, we're discipled, and we disciple each other, and we learn, and 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 we expand our and we stretch, and all of these things. But it's also where we find community. You need a circle of people in your life that when you hadn't been there two weeks in a row, they'll call you, and they'll call you, and they'll say, "You haven't been here. You, what are you doing?" You need somebody that'll call you and say, hey, "What are you doing here?" And we have like there are 12 or 13 different grow group options for this semester. 12 weeks. Starts this week, goes all the way through the month of April. An amazing opportunity for you to get in and grow and be a disciple, but not only that, to find community, to find a circle. Ecclesiastes would tell us, pity the man who falls and doesn't have someone to pick him up. There's a really good chance. Your your chances are really high you're going to walk through something. Something unexpected. Something you didn't see coming. Something that somebody else did. And you need a circle. Circles are always better than rows. And so you have that card in your seat or maybe you put it in your bag or your purse or you put it in your pocket or you stuck it under your chair so you could sit down and now you need to pull that thing out and you need to scan it and you need to say, hey, God, where do you, where do you want me to get connected? We got groups for women, groups for men, groups for parenting, groups for, for anyone, groups on books of the Bible. Group, I mean, just they're amazing options for you to be a part of a group and get in a circle. And so I'm challenging you to get in a circle, get in a circle, get in a group, get in a group. Lord, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we thank you that we know that you were good. Lord, we know that you're calling us out of hiding. You're calling us out of the cave. And Lord, there are many of us here, I believe even right now, that we would say we don't want to stay here. I don't want to stay in this place. I want to come out of the cave. I want everything that you have for me. And so, Lord, I pray right now over every person under the sound of my voice and every person that's watching online right now. In the name of Jesus, would you guide and direct us and call us out of the cave? I believe you are so lovingly asking us today, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? God, you have an amazing plan for our life. But, Lord, we can't settle in comfort and we can't settle in apathy or vanity or excuses. God, we've got to step out in faith. We've got to be obedient to your voice. We've got to take up our cross and follow you. So, Lord, I pray that we would make the decision today, that we would make the choice to do that. And as we sing this last song, as the prayer team comes, Lord, if there's anybody here in this room that needs prayer for anything in their life, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw them for prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.